some? Watching those little ones. I mean, uh, I, I'm waiting for the very last one to get out before I make this comment, but... Um, Go ahead, go to class. <laughs> the coolest things are little ones, and they still can't say the letter L yet, but they're standing up here quoting the scripture. <laughs> that blows me away. It's just so cool. The other thing I was thinking, because my mind is so twisted, um, about eight at eight on the eighth, eight, eight, eight. If you guys go and eat a meal, you can say you ate at eight on the eighth. That's why I don't do promotions up here, because I'm like going in these little mind things. Okay. Here's our proverb of the day. Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who takes a passing dog by the ears. Here's a picture from 1964. That is the White House lawn. You can reach your own conclusions about that proverb. Do you remember, anybody here old enough to remember when that happened? I mean, yeah, okay. I mean, I remember it's that picture, and it's like, okay, that's crazy. Carrying his dog around on the White House lawn by the ears. <laughs> Whoever meddles in a quarrel not his own is like one who, okay, uh, we've done that, okay. So um, I think that's just funny. There, there, um, some words have a lot of meanings. I mean, if you look up the word run, run, R-U-N, in, um, in dic- at dictionary.com, there's at least 179 meanings for just the word run, okay? Like, for example, the verb, we use it as a verb, we're going to run with our legs or um, run the water, that's a little bit different, or um, you, you went on a, those are verbs, how about a noun, you went on a run, okay, so there's lots of ways you can define the word run, and um, I mean, there's some really odd things too, like if, if the faucet is running, it's actually just sitting still, Right? I mean, we got some weird things about the English language. Anyway, 170 different meanings um, for the word run. Some, some, another word, um, that's true also for the, a word that's really relevant to our message today, the word deliver. Deliver can mean all kinds of different things. Um, like, he will deliver a package, okay? As in deliver to, okay? Another one way we'd use that word is we need to deliver on this, as in we need you to perform. We need you to get the results. Another way we would say it is, um, I was delivered, as in, I was to be brought through something. Not to bring to, but to be brought through something. Psalm 71, verse 2, in, in righteousness, O Lord, deliver me. Bring me through something. You are my help and my deliverer. Bring me through something, Lord. Jesus, in the Lord's prayer, and lead us not into, temp- into temptation, but deliver us. Bring us through evil, Lord. That's our subject today, to be delivered. Now, I I hope if you're one of God's children through faith in Jesus, that you've received the the, the absolutely free gift uh, to you and me of eternal life. Hope you have. And if you haven't, today would be the best possible day to do that. Today could be the day of your salvation, and you'll understand a lot better what deliverance means. If you've done that, and you know, one of the greatest hopes that every child of God has is this, my Lord will deliver me. That is a great hope that we, we perch on. God, God's going to deliver me. He's going to get me through this. He's, he sees my situation. My confidence is, is, him, is in him. He's going to deliver me. What makes this hard is that we know that he could deliver me today. And, and in fact, we think that he should deliver me today. But why does God delay when he could deliver. 
Why does he delay when he could absolutely deliver right now? That's today's topic. Why does delivery delay? I think we should pray. Lord, um, as we take a walk into your word, and Lord, as we tenderly put our heart up into your hands, give us, Lord, this humility that we would need to recognize our own need for deliverance. Give us, Lord, also the courage to seek out the deliverance and not just to stay in a place that might be really comfortable where we're maybe stuck in Egypt. And Lord, give us the faith to know because you are our deliverer. In Jesus' name, we pray these things. Amen. So we've been in the book of Exodus, and the, the, the series topic is about finding our identity in God. And here's a real quick review of where we've been. Week one was, I am the Lord. Um, you can't know who you are until you know who God is, was the idea there. Week two and three, we spent two weeks on the topic of, um, you know, the, the Lord taught us that I am the Lord, and I will be with you. And, and the Lord fills this gap between what we are and what we need to be, this, this gap of insecurity. And Moses had an awful lot of insecurities. And we spent a quite, a, quite a bit of time on insecurities. Today, today the, the, we will center on, I am your deliverer. The thing is, even though he's our deliverer, God delays deliverance, and for some very, very good reasons. We're going to see this in Exodus chapters 5 through 9. So the, the, Exodus, the Exodus is the story. It's the account of the children of Israel leaving Egypt. And it's one of the most um, heavily attacked portions of Scripture by liberal scholars. And maybe you didn't know that. But still, you and I have very, very good reasons to have confidence in God's Word. They, they attack, when, they, when they attack the, this passage of Scripture the book, book of Exodus, they, they have a lot of complaints about the, the whole Exodus out and all of the miracles, and they say things like this. Um, I, I took some time to, to read what the objections were to this, and um, for example, they'll say, well, the, the names of the cities that are listed in those passages um, are, are, were 100 years after when these events were supposedly supposed to take place. I, I get the math. They're saying, well, there wasn't a city by that name, and, and there's these issues here. But I, here's what that argument really amounts to. If I was to tell you, um, if you were interested in history and you were going to look f into the history um, and you went to the library and you found a book that was titled The History of Smithfield, Washington, would you say, well, that's false because there is no Smithfield. There's an Olympia now, but not a Smithfield. If, if, if the book said The History of New Market, Washington, would you say, well, that's, that's false because we have a ton water, but we don't have a new market. I mean, I, I, I get the point. It seems pretty obvious to me that the names in the scriptures are, are relevant so that people who are reading it later would understand the locations that were being talked about. And I suppose so, still some people get stuck up over that. I, I'm over that. It's fine. It's fine with me that the names have, that a city can have, it's fine with you that the city can have more than one name? Okay, all right, so you're over it too. I'm glad to hear that. They also say that there's no archaeological evidence for um, this many. It was a couple million people. And they say there's no archaeological evidence for that. And that's not exactly accurate. There's actually quite a lot of archaeological evidence. However, um, from the standpoint of archaeology, uh, the, the, the nation of Israel, as it stands today, is somewhere between eight and 10,000 square miles of, er of area. And so far, archaeologists have explored about 2% of that. And they're mostly doing it with toothbrushes and paintbrushes. <laughs> it's going to take a while to get to the other 98%. I'm okay with the fact that some future discovery is going to discover more evidence. Um, I, I'm not troubled by that. Um, uh, and, and then f there's, there's other issues. For a few hundred years, uh, the objection was that, well, 
Um, there's no evidence of any Hittite nation, and there are lots. Of, there's 47 references in the Old Testament to the Hittites. Uriah the Hittite, he was married to Bathsheba before David stole her. Um, he was a Hittite. There's another guy named Ephron uh, the Hittite who sold a cave to, to, uh, to Abraham. There, there's several examples, 47 times. And for ye- hundreds of years, there's no Hittites. There's no Hittites. That was right up until the time that archaeologists found about 10,000 clay tablets that went into significant detail ex- explaining all about the Hittite people. And nation. I mean, it's, they found those, by the way, with paintbrushes and toothbrushes. So... <laughs> Um, I mean, if you don't want to believe the Bible, it's a bad idea for you to stick your head into the sand of Israel because just about everywhere you go, you're actually going to find something. In fact, every single day, there are active archaeological digs that are discovering more information and more information and finding things. And those things that they're finding continually produce proof of the veracity, of the truth of the scriptures. So the Exodus story happened exactly as the words tells that it happened. So let's get into it. And we're going to start this, and here's what we're going to be doing today. We're going to talk about five reasons why deliverance delays. Why does it delay? Number one, before deliverance, circumstances must deteriorate. Before deliverance, circumstances have to deteriorate. Okay, so God had called Moses, and he had said, I want you to lead my people um, from this land of Egypt out of slavery to the promised land. So he says, Pharaoh's going to let them go. We pick this up in Exodus 4, verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. Remember, there were these miracles, right? So Moses did what God told him. He told him the words, and he showed him the signs. Verse 11, and the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshiped. Awesome. So they're all fired up. Um, um, Next chapter, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And they're so fired up. Let's do this thing. So they went to Pharaoh. Let my people go. Now, just to give you some context here, remember... The children of Israel were slaves at this point. Um, This is not a small thing for them to go to Pharaoh and say, let us go. Um, It's kind of a crazy thing to do that. And uh, here's a little historical context. People people ask when they think, well, did did the slaves build the um, the pyramids? The answer to that is no. The pyramids at this point had had been up for about 1,000 years. In fact, they were already up uh, b- by over 500 years when Joseph came to, to Egypt. And you know that, probably know that whole story. And the, the, the children of Israel were actually building cities. They were mostly ba- making bricks and building cities. And um, there is a lot of archaeological um, evidence that's been turned up that shows what they were doing and where they were building. And, and uh, there is also a lot of, his, uh, of archaeological evidence that, that uh, talks about the plagues, a lot of evidence, and uh, there was a, a, a season of tremendous upheaval in the nation uh, of Egypt. And, uh, at, you know, it would, it would but have been by, by archaeologists today described as caused by natural causes. Ramses II um, was um, pharaoh, and um, he, at this time he's really into building cities, and that's what the slaves were doing. They were making bricks and building cities. So Moses says to pharaoh, you, you know, he says to pharaoh, your whole workforce, we're out of here. You know, we're leaving. And Pharaoh's response is not what they had hoped they would, would be. So verse 2. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord 
there's the key question, right? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. Well, Ramses, you're going to know him. And moreover, I will not let Israel go. Some things to, to catch here. It's pretty, 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 pretty definite. His response and his answer, you, you get three things. His refusal, he just flat out refuses. You get his rebuke. Um, he says to Moses, get back to your burdens in verse 4. And then his reaction is, you know, verses 7 and 8. He says, you shall no longer give to the people, give them straw to make their bricks as in the past. Let them go and get the straw for themselves. So you have this back-breaking job these people are doing. They're working literally six days a week, 14 hours a day, making brick, building, making brick, building, making brick, building. And um, the bricks are, are, are a combination of straw and mud. And up to this point, somehow the Egyptian process had been handing them the straw, and now that no longer, that's shut down. Keep making the same number of bricks and buildings as you were before. Oh, by the way, also go get the straw yourselves. And you can see um, how... Um, this, uh, how this, this, this affected the Israelites. So verses 15, then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, why do you treat your servants like this? No straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten. And then those foremen also expressed their anger to Moses. Verse 20, then they met Moses and Aaron who were waiting for them as they came out from Pharaoh, and they said to them, the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. What a funny way to talk. You know, you made us stink. Okay, uh, they're ticked and, and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. Thanks a heap, Moses. You were gonna lead us out of here and now look what you got us. You got us more misery and we, we had backbreaking labor before and we're doing more now and we're being beaten too. Now they really should not have been surprised because... Back in, in Exodus chapter 3, verse 19, um, the scripture, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. Here's God telling them, don't, this isn't going to be easy. There's going to be some trouble here. And also Exodus 4, 21, and, and the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I put in your power, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. So they knew. And those statements were part of what Moses and Aaron shared with the children of Israel. Hey, we're going to go. Pharaoh's going to release you, but this isn't going to come easy, and Pharaoh's not going to let them go unless things get tough. So Moses and Aaron knew that Pharaoh wouldn't let them go at first, and the people knew that Aaron, um, uh, because Aaron had told them all these things in advance, so they all knew. Everybody knew that deliverance wasn't coming right away, and yet everybody was all upset because deliverance delayed. Isn't that kind of the way it always is? I mean, for us, we, we, you know, we've been praying, we've been turning to God, we've been returning to God for some of us who have been away for a while, and we're expecting some results. We're, we're expecting some specific or particular outcome. Maybe it's in your business, or, or um, you need a job, or, or um, you need some sort of financial improvement, and you thought it was coming, but then it didn't come. Maybe you've been seeking this with the Lord and you've been praying, Lord, you know, bring about a change in my marriage. Lord, soften her heart, soften his heart. It hasn't come yet. And maybe you've been facing something with a son or with a daughter and you've asked God to do something there and you've left it in his hands and you've been expecting a turnaround and it hasn't shown up yet. 
Before deliverance, is, deliverance, circumstances have to deteriorate. And while that's happening, wait in faith. Everything God has promised you is coming. Wait in faith because everything that God's promised you is coming, but you have to wait in faith for it. But why do things have to deteriorate? Here's why. Because the Lord is going for a greater victory. He's going for a bigger victory. God will always choose the grand over the good. You'll find that all through there. And sometimes good is the enemy of the grand. So we see this, 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 this whole issue starting to build steam in their hearts. Um, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. There is an honest, heartfelt prayer. And by the way, God is big enough to handle your honest, heartfelt prayers. Don't ever worry that you're going to wedge God in a corner because you're so, so upset. But catch what Moses is actually saying here. When he says, why have you done evil? In other words, he's saying, you're not good, God. You're not good, or you would have fixed this. When he says, why did you send me? He's really saying, you're not wise, God. You should have sent somebody else, and I told you that. When he says, you know, you know and, and, and since there are no changes here, he's, saying, he's really saying, you're not active, God. It's taken too long. And look into your own heart, if you, if you dare right now, and ask yourself, am I saying the very same things to God? God, you're not good. God, you're not wise. God, you're not active. Watch out for some of those kinds of thoughts because instead, wait in faith because everything God has promised you will come. And, and you ask the question, but why? why? Why doesn't he just do it now? He can do it now. That's the second part of this first point. Before deliverance, circumstances must deteriorate, but it's for a greater victory. God is pulling you back like you're in a slingshot, you know? And the victory is going to be greater. God's timing is perfect, and when he does this, he will do it. It's going to be the most perfect thing, and it's going to be in an awesome way. So here's the second point. Why does deliverance delay? Before deliverance, doubts must cease. Before deliverance, doubts, doubts must cease. Chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you're going to see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out. Here we're talking about Pharaoh's strong hand. Pharaoh's going to get some steam behind this. Not only is he going to do it, but he's going he's he's to propel this himself. And there's that, that greater victory. Because Pharaoh is saying, they're not leaving. And how does God respond? He's saying, when I'm done with the Egyptians, when I'm done, Pharaoh is going to you know, load them into a catapult and shoot them out of the country. He's, he, he's, he's, he's going to want them gone so badly. And God's saying, when I'm done working, it's going to be obvious that I've changed the situation. But the Lord said to Moses, now, now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of the land. He's going to want them to be gone. Can't we just do that now? And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Do you catch what's going on here? God is saying to Moses, you know what? I'm the God of all of your forefathers. 
but I didn't talk to them. I didn't spend time with them. I didn't have intimacy with them like I'm having with you, Mo. Could you get with the program here a little bit, son? You know, there's something going on here. It's intimate, it's tender, but it's powerful. And, and God has a special thing going on here with Moses. He's making himself known in a deeper, more personal way than he ever had before. Something really special is going on here, I think. Drop down to verse six. So say therefore to the people of Israel, I'm the Lord. Now, by the way, when you, if you have your Bible, which I hope you do, when you see that phrase, I am the Lord, you should underline it every time we do it because that's the whole point of our whole series. Here. I am the Lord. It's, it's a lot of places. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm, and with great acts of judgment, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, underline, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. There it is. You know, binding our identity with God. You shall know that I am the Lord your God. Maybe for you, your your identity is, is, is tied up in, you know, my feelings. My, my identity is in my feelings or my career or, or my struggling marriage or my profound loneliness and, and discouragement that just won't go away. That's my identity. I am the Lord. <laughs> Get your identity tied up in that. I am the Lord. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Something's being emphasized here. <laughs> I'm the Lord. And this is the home base. You know, this is the pier that uh, Moses always has to return, tie himself up to. Notice in this whole process what's absent. You know, God does not give any, any pointers for, for Moses to brush up on. There's no list of five keys for effective uh, pharaoh persuasion. There's none of that. There's no, you know... PC approach for dealing with the king. There's none of that in this list. Nothing like that. It's just, I'm the Lord. I will deliver you in, in, in my time with a strong arm. And you're going to know it's me. Now, Moses has to always return back to this point. I am the Lord. God keeps taking him there. I am the Lord. And that's the focus and point of identity that we have to return to, too. I'm the Lord. And this has been, you know, this has been a key lesson for me, for Terry. I mean, maybe you've been in, in Crossroads Church for a while, or maybe you're new, and, you know, you, for, um, thank you for coming to church here. You know, the family is, is better as, as and, and, and um, but you come here and you think to yourself, okay, well, what's this place all about? What are these people up to? What's going on here? And, and you could, you know, reach some conclusions, um, you know, that the Lord is building a family here and that he's shaping his family, he's shaping us individually and he's shaping us as a group and he's saving people and, you know, he's caring for people in our community and you could, you'd be right about those things. But one of the subplots of what God is doing at Crossroads is God is building me. God is building Terry. God is building you. And I, I'm not the person that I was. And I'm, 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 and, and thankfully, I'm not even the person that, at some point, I will be. And I understand that God's growing me. And I understand that God is changing us. So that we always come to this obstacle in our hearts of what am I willing to learn? What, what, what am I willing to own? What am I willing to embrace? And every time, it takes us back to, I am the Lord. 
And the, the very same process was happening with Joseph. You know, jo- the story of Joseph, he was betrayed by his brothers, he was enslaved, he was falsely accused, he was imprisoned. All these things were going on. It seems like God was not delivering him. But all that time, as he was going through that, God was building Joseph. And, and Moses here is going through the very same thing. While we wait, God is making us spiritually fit to receive what he's already willing to do in our lives. That's what's going on while we're waiting. God's going to build the person that's being delivered while they wait. And, and, and as he prepares to bring the deliverance, that's what's going on. And, and key in that whole process is faith. Faith. And Moses didn't have the faith in God's word that he should have had. He didn't respect the word of God. He objected, he came up with excuses, he he was doing these things, and he kept doing that over and over with God for a long time. So the question, rhetorical question is, how often are we standing over our own problems, asking God to deliver us? How often do we try to negotiate with God? And, And how often do we try to rationalize with God? You know, God, deliver me. But have I done the things that the Lord asked me to do? But it's so hard right now, Lord. I need you to get it. But have I done the things that the Lord has asked me to do? Sometimes, you know, we're harsh in our assessments of God, but we haven't done the very things that he's asked us to do that, that he's asked us to do next. And what God is building in Moses and, and what's finally becoming a part of Moses' fabric is this unswerving, unwavering, passionate commitment to the word of God, to the things God says. And, and he's getting that, and that's what we need to get too. I think every child of the Lord needs to, to get that more. And the good thing here is that Moses repeatedly turns to the Lord, Exodus 5.22. Then Moses turned to the Lord, Exodus 6.12. But Moses said to the Lord, and, 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 and when we fail, we have to turn back to the Lord. Do you have a bad start? Then restart and turn back to the Lord. You know, get back to the Lord. Moses turned back to the Lord. Why does God delay? One, so that circumstances can deteriorate. Two, so that doubts can cease. And he brings transformation to people who seek it. And then number three, before deliverance, truth must prevail. God wants some, some things established in this truth. Now, about the plagues, I just got to say that there are all kinds of stories out there about the 10 plagues. You, know, you just can't believe how many Bible commentaries, Bible commentaries, um, there are that are filled with people saying things like, well, here's how this could have happened, and here's how that could have happened. Uh, here's how the locusts could have happened. Here's how the flies could have happened. And, you know... Um, what? Really? I mean, these people are trying to find natural explanations for miracles. For miracles. Either there is a God who spoke and the worlds were formed, <laughs> you know, which would make these little miracles playtime, right? Yeah. Would make them playtime. Either that's true or there's no God of the miraculous. There's nothing supernatural. You know, what, which is it? You've got to make your mind up about what you believe. And there's more than enough reason to believe. You don't have to check your mind at the door if you're a Christian. There's, there's plenty of, of, of intellectually satisfying facts out there that will help you if you're seeking those answers. But if you want to doubt, you can find things that you can seriously you know, criticize and critique in God's word. And there are people who give their life to that, and I don't know why they do that. But anyway, okay. So the secular hieroglyphic record, by the way, bears testimony to this season of this national massive upheaval that happened in Egypt. And there are all kinds of theories about what, you know, what God may have been trying to do 
well, the reason for the flies or what was going on with the lice and, you know, there was volcanoes and there was red algae and there was clay stained the water. And, you know, I've, I've also heard teachings that, that each of these plagues had a parallel Egyptian god, small g god, that God, big G God, was kind of insulting and trying to make a case for. Um, and statistically, that's probably reasonable because the Egyptians had thousands of gods. They did literally had, they had a god for everything. So I'm not saying that that's true, and I'm not saying that it's not true. I'm just saying that the scriptures don't declare that. So it might be true, it might not be true. For me, the safe place is for me to teach what the scripture says, so I'm not going to tell you it's true or untrue. Could be, I don't know. I just think things, there's plenty of interesting things in the Bible for us to teach on rather than speculation. They could be true, might not be. Anyway, okay, so here's a few things about the plagues. I'm not going to spend a long time on them, but um, we're going to get to a couple of interesting ones in a minute. Um, the plagues, they seem to come in threes. There's 10 of them, and uh, I'm going to go through one through nine because the 10th one stands alone, and God willing, um, if we're still here on the earth, I meaning if the Lord doesn't snatch us away in a rapture, um, that's a rabbit trail. I'm not going down there, back away to her. Um, I'm going to save that one for next week. Okay, the, the number 10 for next week. So the first nine plagues in sequence. Um, and, and by the way, they come in sets of threes and um, they seem to appear in threes. And the first two of each group of three, Pharaoh was warned. The third one came without warning. There's a patterns here if you look closely. Okay, number one, the Nile turned to blood. You see this in Exodus 7. Picture this. The entire Nile River system turning to blood. This, is, this was their life. The, all of the, all of the e economy, the, the agriculture, it all depended upon this water, and it turns to blood. It turned to actual blood. It, it's not red water. It's not red dye in the water. It's not clay-stained water. It was blood. It didn't look like blood. It was blood. Now, and I've heard the, 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 the comments, well, because it was blood, the frogs didn't like that, so they jumped out, and then, you know, like, so here we go, fine, write your book, I hate your book, I don't want to care about your book, whatever. So, okay, now turn to blood. Number two, frogs. You see this in Exodus 8. Number three, lice. Moses keeps at it, but Pharaoh says, no, I'm not letting them go. Number four, flies. Exodus 8. Now listen, I hate a fly. But you should see what happens at my house when Lisa sees a fly. <laughs> I mean, out comes this little vacuum cleaner, and they have no idea that their lifespan is now measured in seconds, and they will be torn apart going in circles at 1,000 miles an hour inside the motor of a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> ha! I got another one! Okay. She turns in, she puts a cape on. Anyway, so um, flies. Number five, livestock. Um, this is dead animals laying everywhere in the fields. Putrid, rotting corpses of cows and horses and whatever. Number six, boils. Now, this shifts directly to affecting the, the people personally, but never the children of Israel. This is, this is afflicting the people of Egypt. Number seven, hail. Hail so strong that it destroys every tree, every animal, every plant, every person. Everything that was outside, dead. Number eight, locusts. Uh, Exodus 10. Number nine, darkness. Exodus 10. Okay, three days of total darkness. People did not leave their houses. You could not see. It was pitch. Scripture says pitch dark. Except in the land of Goshen where the children of Israel lived. It was beautiful. 
sunny days. And, you know, there are a couple of these plagues with some interesting twists, and I'm not going to go into them all, but the second plague, the frogs, is one. I just noticed earlier this week, um, I, we have a puppy, and we're training the puppy that the entire universe is not its bathroom, particularly inside of our house. So we're outside a lot with it. I noticed early one day, one evening this last week, I went outside and I heard a frog. You know? And that typically happens starting around March. We live, we have a nice country setting home, you know, and, and we like the, you know, but there's a frog and I'm thinking, this is January. And then the next night I went out, there were several, and the, like the last couple of nights they've been singing. Have you heard? It sounds like summer out there. And I like it. I like the sound of the frogs. I can't see them and I like that too. Okay? But, okay. So, so these frogs in this curse, scripture says they were everywhere. It says they were in the bedrooms. It says they were in the ovens. They were in the kneading bowls. These frogs were everywhere, okay? You think you could tolerate a few frogs. These are in, you open the medicine cabinet and they fall out on your head, everywhere. You put on a pair of shoes, in your shoes, everywhere. You know? Verse eight, Exodus 80. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, okay, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the Nile. Moses is asking him, when, when, right? When should I ask God to get them out? What should Pharaoh's request be? Right now. Right this minute. Get them out. And he says, tomorrow. <laughs> Pharaoh's saying, I'll have one more night with the frogs. This whole struggle going on here is this demonstration of depravity. It's this, this darkness that's, that, that can be present in the human heart. It's showing this stubborn will against all evidence of, of people just rejecting God's supremacy over everything. How many times have we said, I'll have one more night with the frogs? I know it's unhealthy. I know it's wrong. I know it hurts me. I know it's sin. But I want one more night with my secret somebody. I, I want one more night with my substance. I, I want one more night with my personal bitterness. I want, I want one more night with my stubborn. I, I want one more night with my refusal to forgive. I'll stop sinning tomorrow. And Christians are praying, you know, deliver me, God, deliver me. And he's saying, no, not yet. Not yet, Terry. Things are going to get worse first, and there's going to be a greater victory. I'm building you. I'm destroying, I'm just destroying your doubts in me. But before deliverance, truth has to prevail. Truth has to prevail. And God had warned them about number seven, the hail. Okay, so um, verses nine, or Exodus 9, verse 20. Then whoever feared the, the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh, these are, Pharaoh, these are Egyptians who have come to discover God is real, and when they hear his word, they better pay attention. Whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. This is crazy. You'd think after the blood and the frogs and the lice and the flies and the pestilence and, and the boils, you'd start thinking, okay, by 
I better start believing. Now it's hail time. I'm going to start believing God by now. Whatever this Moses guy says, we're, we're, we're going to do that. And God had chosen to turn up the volume here. It, it says hail like they'd never seen before. And this was all back-to-back miracles and in sequence. I mean, oh, they weren't all miracles. They were just natural disasters, and it was really unusual. Really? And they all happened all at once? And they all happened in sequence? And they all started when Moses said, and they all stopped when Moses said? Natural disasters. Okay, well, no. These are miracles, one after another. But incredibly, this depravity that circulates in the human heart was such that even when this hail was predicted and warned in advance, there were some people that were saying, I'm not taking my ox out of the field. We got bills to pay. I'm not taking my servants out of the field. They got work to do. Verse 22, then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all of the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field and in the land of Egypt. Everything is dead now. It's just terrible. Verse 26, only in the land of Goshen where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. Okay, so why is God delaying his deliverance? Number four, before deliverance, hearts must surrender. Have to surrender. I think a lot of people are, are in between still. You know, you haven't made your mind up maybe. Uh, maybe you have, but there are other people who are still on the fence, and God is going to make people decide one side or the other. Verse, chapter 9, verse 27, Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, This time I've sinned. The Lord is in the right, and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord. For there's been enough of God's thunder and hail. I will let you go, and you shall stay no longer. Moses said to him, As soon as I've gone out of the city, I'll stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease, and there will be no more hail, so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. And that's the moment where it starts to turn in our hearts. You know, we think, you know, my spouse, my, my boss is changing. I mean, most of what we are seeking the Lord about, you know, f- f- for, for relief for involved people. And, and we say, you know, it's, it's about me and my family or, or me and my marriage or me and my children or me and my extended family or my friends. And we see a little turn. They seem a little better today. And we pray, they've changed God. So, you know, you can start the deliverance now but it isn't real yet. It isn't real change. Verse 30, but as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. You don't fear him, Pharaoh. You just don't like the consequences of your sin. And we're just not surrendered to God yet. And deliverance isn't coming yet because God's not looking for a surface makeover. He's looking for a real heart change. God doesn't want things a little happier at your house. He wants life transformation so the deliverance can bring about a greater surrendering. And in the end, and I've walked this road before, you'll be glad in the delay because you know, your life will be truly changed. I mean, really, truly changed, and the future will be different. If you have your eyes on how a person is behaving, oh, it just seems like it's happening here. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe not yet. Deliverance delays so that hearts will surrender. Someday, in God's time, your daughter's going to come home. Your, your spouse is going to submit to God forever. Your financial problems are going to move into the rearview mirror. And, um, okay, so finally, why does God delay? This is the hardest part of the message that we're coming to now. I, 
it is for me at least, I think, you know, so let me review. Circumstances have to deteriorate, doubts have to cease, truth must prevail, hearts must sur surrender, and in the end though, number five, deliverance may not be for everyone. Pharaoh is in control of Pharaoh. This isn't just a story about God and Moses. It's also the story about God and Pharaoh. And yes, God hardens Pharaoh's heart. You see that the very first time that's mentioned is in Exodus chapter 9, verse 12. But if you look at the text carefully, Pharaoh also hardened his own heart. In fact, he hardened his own heart five times before Exodus 9, 12. You know, if you just know that, if you just capture the part that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, you think, well, it's so unfair. Well, the truth is that Pharaoh hardened his heart five different times, being given opportunities, being given, given exit ramps. He said, no, 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 no. And by Exodus 9, 12, that's where we get to God saying, okay, okay, okay. That's what you want. And then God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And sadly, in the end, in, in, in the end deliverance may not be for everyone. Locusts come, you know, darkness falls. And you'd think by now, Pharaoh's got to be on his knees. He's got to be broken. Verse 28, 10, 28. Then Pharaoh said to him, Moses, get away from me. Take care never to see my face again. For on the day you see my face, you shall die. I will have you executed. Get out of here. Moses said, as you say, I will not see your face again. That's it. And I have to say this because I don't really know who's listening right now, um, but I want you to know this. I, I don't assume a yieldedness of every person who is listening to these messages, I, I, but I know this. God knows your heart. God knows what's really going on in our lives. And that was the end for Pharaoh, I think, right? But that's my opinion right there. Pharaoh is in hell right now. Hardening your heart is the most dangerous thing you can do. If God is working for you, if, he, if he's stirring, if the rain is falling and the sun is shining and God is blessing you and, and you've got this general blessing going on in your life, and in the place of comfort, you harden your heart. You know, I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own person. That is as serious as serious gets. If God is, is nudging you, about particular sins, but you persist in them because of, of your lack of self-control or because of your willfulness or because of um, this consuming desire for pleasure, if you know the right, but you choose the wrong, you're hardening your heart. And there's this command in Scripture, it's all over in Scripture, over and over. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. Today, God is stirring, you know, repentance maybe in some of us, and don't harden your heart. Don't focus on what other people do or don't do. Don't, don't think that this problem can be solved in any other way than by looking in the mirror. Okay, but after that caution that I've just shared that was hard but necessary, I think, the primary message of this text is not for the hard-hearted person. The, prim the, the, the primary message of this text is to the child of God who, who's waiting for deliverance by God. And... You judge God too harshly because he delays. Or you become discouraged because it hasn't happened yet. The greatest act of deliverance, other than the cross of Christ, is to bring your heart to this greater victory of why God delays. It's always for a greater victory.
And the thing is that God is building you and, um, and me and he's preparing us for deliverance so that we'll listen to what he says and so that our doubts can cease. Before deliverance, hearts must surrender. God wants real life change, not surface change. And it, although deliverance isn't for everybody necessarily, it can be for you and me. So I want to pray. Lord, I want to thank you for um, attentive people here today with hungry hearts. Thank you, God, for mercy. Thank you, Lord, that continually, um, continually, you lovingly gave opportunities for Pharaoh before you said, okay, this is time to move on. Thank you that Lord Jesus Christ is our deliverer. I want to thank you for that, God, because he delivers us from the power of sin. He delivers us to eternal life. He is the great deliverer. Lord, I pray for the work that you would be doing in hearts today that, that the life of this word would be absorbed and the chaff would blow away. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness, loving, loving Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we just want to surrender to you this morning, to your will, to your ways. So as we come to this point...